Chapter Sixteen of the Curse of Carnes Hall. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gaby Cowan. The Curse of Carnes Hall by George Alfred Henty. Chapter Sixteen Searching for a Clue. The landlord of Carnes Arms was somewhat puzzled by a stranger who had just been dropped at his door by the coach from Plymouth. He did not look like either a fisherman or an artist or even a wandering tourist. His clothes were somewhat rough, and the landlord would have taken him for a farmer. But what could any strange farmer be stopping at Carnes for? For? there were no farms vacant in the neighbourhood nor any likely to be so far as the landlord knew besides the few words his guests had spoken as he entered had no touch of devonshire dialect while he was standing at the door turning the matter over his mind for he rather prided himself upon his ability to decide upon the calling and object of his guest and was annoyed by his failure to do so in the present instance the man he was thinking of came out of the coffee-room and placed himself beside him well landlord this is a pretty village of yours they told me in plymouth it was a pretty a place as any about and i see they were right yes most folks think it's pretty the landlord said although i am so accustomed to it myself i don't see a great deal in it yes custom is everything i have been accustomed for a great many years to see nothing much but plains with clumps of bush here and there and occasionally a herd of deer walking across it i have been farming down at the cape and so you see a quiet pretty place like this is very pleasant to me i should think it is quite enough farming there the landlord said i have heard from folk who have been out in some of those parts that you often haven't a neighbour nearer than four miles away that's true enough landlord but the life is not always quiet for all that it's not quiet for instance when you hear the yell of a hundred or so savages outside your windows or see a party driving half your cattle away in the bush no i shouldn't call that quiet and that is what you have been doing yes i was in the disturbed part when the kaffirs rose most of our neighbors were killed and we had a hard time of it but some mounted police came up just in time I have had trouble three or four times before, and it's no use going on for years, rearing cattle if they are to be all swept away by the natives, and you are running the risk of getting your throat cut in the bargain. So after this last affair, I locked up my farmhouse, drove off what cattle I had got left, and sold them for what I could get for them, and here I am. Yes, here you are, repeated the landlord and what next 
the ship touched at plymouth and i thought i might as well get out there as anywhere else well there is too much noise and bustle at plymouth i haven't been used to it and so now i'm just looking for a little place to suit me i have been up to tavistock and then some one said that carnesford was a pretty village i said i would look at carnesford and so you see here i am what sort of place are you looking for the landlord asked looking at his visitor closely and mentally appraising his worth oh quite a little place i should say about twenty pounds a year i suppose one could get a girl to help from the village and could live for another eighty that's about what i could afford oh yes i should say you could do that said the landlord thoughtfully but i do not know that there is such a place to let anywhere about here there is a nice cottage at the other end of the village just empty it's got a good garden and it's rather away from the rest of the houses but the rent is only half a crown a week that wouldn't do for you well i wanted something better than that but still i might have a look at it of course if i took it i should want to stay and i might as well spend a little money in doing it up to my fancy as in paying higher rent by the way my name is armstrong perhaps you wouldn't mind putting on your hat and showing me this place you speak of we have been used to roughing it and don't want anything fine the cottage was certainly large and roomy and stood in a pretty garden but its appearance was not prepossessing for it differed from most of the other little houses in the village inasmuch as it was not like them half hidden by roses and creepers climbing over it yes it is rough decidedly rough mr armstrong said still there is a pretty view down the valley now i should save nearly fourteen pounds in rent by taking this instead of a twenty pound a year house and if one were to put up a veranda around it touch up the windows somehow and put pretty paper on the walls i should say that at the end of two years it would stand me in just the same that and plenty of roses and things would make it a pretty little place who's the landlord the landlord is mr carne up at the hold that's the big house on the hill but he's away at the present mr kirkland a lawyer at plymouth is his agent and sees to the letting of his houses and that sort of thing his clerk comes over once a month to collect the rents i expect you would have to go to him even if mr carne was at home squire was never much down in the village in the best of times and we have hardly seen his face since his sister's death yes they were telling us about that affair at plymouth the colonist said quietly it was a bad business well have you got some pretty sociable sort of fellows in the village i like a chat as well as any man and i should want someone to talk to well i don't know that they would be your sort the landlord said doubtfully there is the clergyman and the doctor oh no i don't want to have to do with clergymen and doctors we colonists are pretty rough and ready fellows 
and it's no odds to us what a man is a man stops at your door and in he comes and he's welcome though he is only a shepherd on the lookout for work sometimes one of the kaffir chiefs with nothing on but a blanket and a leather apron will stalk in and squat down and make himself at home oh no it's tradesmen i mean and perhaps the small farmers round well we are pretty well off for that mr armstrong there is hiram powlett the miller and jacob carey the blacksmith they drop in pretty regular every evening and smoke a pipe with me in what i call my snuggery and there is old reuben clapshurst he was the clerk at one time and it's a wonderful chap for knowing the history of every family for miles around and there's some of the farmers often come in for a glass if you are not too proud for that sort of company proud bless your heart what is there to be proud about ain't i been working as a farmer for years and years with no one to talk to but my own hands i mean my own men no that's just a thing to suit me anyhow i think i will try the experiment if at the end of a couple of years i don't like it why there is no harm done well i am sure we shall be all glad to have you here mr armstrong we like getting some one from outside it freshens our ideas up a bit and does us good we are cheerful enough in summer with the artists that come here sketching and with the gentlemen who sometimes come to fish but the rest of the year i don't often have a stranger at the carnes arms two days later mr armstrong returned to carnes for with a builder from plymouth the following day five or six workmen appeared and in a fortnight a considerable transformation had been made in the cottage a veranda was run round the front and two sides some rustic woodwork appeared round the windows and the interior of the house was transformed with fresh paper and paint nothing could be done in the way of roses and creepers as these could not be moved at that time of the year for it was now just midsummer the day after the workmen went out a wagon load of furniture simple and substantial arrived and on the following day the coach brought down the new tenants a girl had already been engaged in the village to act as a servant miss armstrong was quietly and plainly dressed and might by her attire be taken for the daughter of a small farmer and the opinion in the village as the newcomers walked through on their way to the cottage was distinctly favourable in a very short time mr armstrong became quite a popular character in carnesford and soon was on speaking terms with most of the people he won the mother's hearts by patting the heads of the little girls and praising their looks he had a habit of carrying sweets in his pockets and distributing them freely among the children and he would lounge for hours at the smith's door listening to the gossip that went on for in carnesford as elsewhere the forge was the recognized meeting-place of those who had nothing to do 
he was considered a wonderful acquisition by the frequenters of the snuggery at the carnes arms and his stories of life at the cape gave an added interest to their meetings hearing from hiram powlett that he had a wife and daughter he asked him to get them as a matter of kindness to visit his daughter and within a fortnight of his arrival he and mary went to tea to the mill several times the conversation in the snuggery turned upon the murder at the hold in no case did the newcomer lead up to it but it cropped up as a subject which the people of carnesford were never weary of discussing he ventured no opinions and asked no questions upon the first few occasions when the subject was being discussed but smoked his pipe in silence listening to the conversation it seems strange to me he said at last that you in this village should never have had a suspicion of any one except this captain mervyn i understand that you mr claphurst and you mr carey have never thought of any one else but mr powlett he always says he is sure it isn't him but if it wasn't him mr powlett who do you think it was ah that is more than i can tell hiram replied i have thought and i have thought till my head went round but i can't see who it can have been miss carne seems to have had no enemies no not one not as i ever heard of she was wonderful popular in the village she was and as for the squire except about poaching he never quarrelled with any one had he trouble with poachers then well not often but last year before that affair there was about lot about they were from Dareport, that's two miles away down at the mouth of the river with one or two chaps from this village so it was said about a fortnight it may be three weeks before miss carne was killed there was a fight up in the woods between them and the gamekeepers one of the keepers got stabbed but he didn't die until some time afterwards but the jury brought it in wilful murder all the same it didn't matter much what verdict they brought in cause the man as the evidence went against had left the country at least he hadn't been seen hereabouts and a good job too hiram a good job too jacob carey put in yes hiram said i admit it it was a good job as he was gone a good job for us all he would never have done any good here anyway and the best job as ever he did for himself as i know of was when he took himself off there was a general chorus of accent what was the man's name mr armstrong asked carelessly his name was george forrester jacob carey said as they were going out from the snuggery that evening the landlord made a sign to mr armstrong that he wanted to speak to him he accordingly lingered until the other men had left oh i thought i would just tell you mr armstrong 
seeing that your daughter and you have been to the mill it's just as well not to talk about the poaching and george forrester before ruth powlett you see it's rather a sore subject with her she was engaged to that george forrester and a lot of trouble it gave her father and mother well i expect she must have seen now that she had a lucky escape still a girl don't like a man as she was liked being spoken against so i thought that i would say a word to you thank you that's very friendly of you yes you may be sure that i won't introduce the subject i am very glad you told me or i might have blundered upon it and hurt the girl's feelings she doesn't look very strong either she has a nervous look about her i think she used to be very different but she had a great shock she was the first you know to go into miss carne's room and find her dead she was her maid before that and she was ill for weeks after it came on the top of an illness too she fell down on the hill coming home from church and they found her lying insensible there and she was very bad had the doctor there every day then came this other affair and i dare say this business of george forrester helped too anyhow she was very bad and the doctor thought at one time that she wouldn't get over it mr armstrong walked home thoughtfully well father what is your news mary armstrong said as he entered i can see you have heard something more than usual well my dear i don't know that it's anything but at the same time it certainly is new and gives us something to follow up it seems that there was a fellow named george forrester living somewhere about here and he was engaged to your friend ruth powlett but her father and mother disapproved of it highly they said he was a bad lot he got mixed up with a gang of poachers and some little time before this murder about three weeks before they had a fight with mr carne's keepers one of the keepers was mortally wounded it was said by this george forrester the man lived for some time but at last died of the wound and the jury brought in a verdict of wilful murder against george forrester who had been missing from the time of the fight yes father but that seems no great clue perhaps not mary but it shows at least that there was one fellow about here who may be considered to have had a quarrel with the carnes and who was thoroughly bad character and who and this is of importance was engaged with or without her parents consent to miss carnes own maid mary gave a little gasp of excitement now it seems further her father went on that some time between this poaching affair and the murder i could not inquire closely into dates ruth powlett was found insensible on the road going up the hill and was very ill for some days she said she had had a fall and of course she may have had although it is not often young women fall down so heavily as to stun themselves but it may of course have been something else what else father well 
it is possible she may have met this lover of hers and that they may have had a quarrel probably she knew he had been engaged in this poaching affair and may have told him that she would have nothing more to do with him and he may have knocked her down of course this is all mere supposition but it is only by supposition that we can grope our way along it seems she was well enough anyhow to go up to her place again at the hold for she was the first to discover the murder and the shock was so great that she was ill for weeks in fact in great danger they say she has been greatly changed ever since i don't know whether anything can be made of that my dear i don't know i don't see what father mary said after thinking for some time unless she's fancying since that it was this man who did it of course anyhow it would be a fearful shock for a girl to find her mistress lying murdered and perhaps it may be nothing more than that no doubt it may be nothing more than that mary but it's the other side of the case we have to look at let us piece the things together here we have four or five facts all of which may tell here is a bad character in the village that is one point this man had a poaching afraid with mr carne's keepers he killed or at any rate the coroner's jury found that he killed one of the keepers he is engaged to miss carne's own maid this maid is just after this poaching business found insensible in the wood and tells rather an improbable story as to how it came about she is the first to enter her mistress's room and then she has a serious illness of course any girl would be shocked and frightened and upset but it is not so often that a serious illness would be the result and lastly she has been changed ever since she has as you remarked to me the other day an absent preoccupied sort of way about her taken altogether these things certainly do amount to something i think so too father i think so too mary armstrong said walking up and down the little room in her excitement i do think there may be something in it and you see father after this poaching business the man wanted to get away and he may have been in want of money and so have thought of taking miss carne's watch and jewels to raise money to take him abroad so he might my dear that is certainly a feasible explanation but unfortunately instead of taking them away you see he buried them yes father but he only just pushed them into the ground the report said because on reading through the old files of the newspapers the other day i particularly noticed that well father you see perhaps just as he was leaving the house a dog may have barked or something may have given him a scare and he may just have hidden them in the ground intending to come for them the next day and then what with the excitement and the police here and the search 
that was being made he could get no opportunity of getting them up again and being afraid of being arrested himself for his share in the poaching affray he dared not hang about here any longer but probably went down to plymouth and got on board ship there of course all this is nothing more than supposition still it really does not seem improbable father there is only one difficulty that i can see why should he have killed miss carne because the doctors say that she was certainly asleep we cannot tell dear she may have moved a little he may have thought that she would awake and that he had better make sure he was a desperate man and there is no saying what a desperate man will do anyhow mary this is a clue and a distinct one and we must follow it up it may lead us wrong in the end but we shall not be losing time by following it for i shall keep my ears open and may find some other and altogether different track how had we better follow it mary asked after having sat silent for some minutes this forester is gone and we have no idea where i think the only person likely to be able to help us is ruth powlett exactly so my dear and she would not be likely to speak if she knows anything she would have said it at the trial had she not wished to shield this man whom she may love in spite of his wickedness quite so my dear and besides and he smiled young women in love are not disposed to believe in their lover's guilt how can you say so father mary said indignantly you would not compare no no mary i would not compare the two men but i think you will admit that even had the evidence against ronald mervyn being ten times as conclusive as it was you would still have maintained his innocence against all the world of course i should father quite so my dear that is what i am saying however if our supposition is correct in this case the girl does believe him to be guilty but she wishes to shield him either because she loves him still or has loved him it is astonishing how women will cling to men even when they know them to be villains i think dear that the best way of proceeding will be for you to endeavour to find out from ruth powlett what she knows of course it will be a gradual matter and you can only do it when she has got to know and like you thoroughly but father mary said hesitating will it not be a treacherous thing for me to become friends with her for the purpose of gaining her secret it depends on how you gain it mary certainly it would be so where you get it surreptitiously that is not the way i should propose if this girl has really any proof of anything like strong evidence that the murder was committed by this man forrester she is acting wrongly and cruelly to another to allow the guilt to fall upon him in time when you get intimate with her intimate enough to introduce the subject your course would be to impress this upon her so strongly as to induce her to make an open confession 
of course you would point out to her that this could now in no way injure the man who is her lover as he has gone no one knows where and will certainly never return to this country as upon his appearance he would at once be arrested and tried on the charge of killing the gamekeeper all this would be perfectly open and above board then mary you could if you deemed it expedient own your own strong interest in the matter there would be nothing treacherous in this dear you simply urge her to do an act of justice of course it will be painful for her to do so after concealing it so long still i should think from the little i have seen of her that she is a conscientious girl and is i doubt not already sorely troubled in her mind over the matter yes father i agree with you there would be nothing treacherous in that i have simply to try to get her to make a confession of anything she may know in the matter i quite agree with you in all you have said about the man but i do not see how ruth powlett can know anything for certain whatever she may suspect for it she was as you say dangerously ill for a long time after the murder she cannot very well have seen the man who would be sure to have quitted the country at once i am afraid that is so mary still we must hope for the best and if she cannot give us absolute evidence herself what she says may at least put us in the right track of obtaining it even if no legal evidence can be obtained we might get enough clues with what we have already to convince the world that whereas here too there seemed no alternative open as to mervyn's guilt there was in fact another against whom there is at any rate a certain amount of proof and whose character is as bad as that of captain mervyn is good this good in itself be a great step mervyn has been acquitted but as no one else is shown to have been connected with it in any way people are compelled in spite of his previous character in spite of his acquittal in spite in fact even of probability to consider him guilty once shown that there is at least reasonable ground for suspicion against another and the opinion at any rate of all who know mervyn would at once be round very well father now you have done your part of the work by finding out the clue i will do mine by following it up fortunately ruth powlett is a very superior sort of girl to anyone in the village and i can make friends with her heartily and without pretence i should have found it very hard if she had been a rough sort of girl but she expresses herself just as well as i do and seems very gentle and nice one can see that even that sharp boy's stepmother of hers is very fond of her and she is the apple of the miller's eye but you must not be impatient father two girls can't become great friends all at once i think on the whole miss armstrong her father said 
you are quite as likely to become impatient as i am seeing that it is your business much more than mine well you may be sure i shall not lose more time than i can help father mary armstrong laughed you don't know how joyous i feel to-night i have always been hopeful but it did seem so bad before now that we have got what we think to be a clue and can set to work at once i feel ever so much nearer to see ronald again the consequence of this conversation was that mary armstrong went very frequently down to the mill and induced ruth powlett sometimes to come up and sit with her i am very glad mr armstrong hiram powlett said one evening when they happened to be the first two to arrive in the snuggery that my route seems to take to your daughter it's a real comfort to hesba and me you would have thought that she would have taken to some of the girls she went to school with but she hasn't i suppose she is too quiet for them and they are too noisy for her anyhow until now she has never had a friend and i think it will do her a world of good it's bad for a girl to be alone and especially a girl like ruth i don't mind telling you mr armstrong that hesba and i have an idea that she has got something on her mind she has been so changed altogether since miss carne's murder i might have thought that she had fretted about that scamp forester going away for at one time the girl was very fond of him but before it happened she told me that she had found out he would never make her a good husband and would break it off altogether with him so you see i don't think his going away had nothing to do with it once or twice i thought she was going to say something particular to me but she has never said it and she sits there and broods and broods till it makes my heart ache to see her now she has got your daughter to be friends with perhaps she may shake it off i hope she may mr powlett it's bad a thing for a girl to mope i know mary likes your daughter very much perhaps if she has anything on her mind she will tell mary one of these days you see when girls get to be friends they open their hearts to each other as they won't do to anyone else i don't see what she can have on her mind the miller said shaking his head it may only be a fancy of mine hesba and i have talked it over a score of times very likely it's nothing after all mr armstrong said girls get strange fancies into their heads and make mountains of molehills it may be nothing after all still perhaps she would be all the better for the telling of it hiram powlett shook his head decidedly ruth isn't a girl to have fancies if she is fretting she is fretting over something serious i don't know why i am talking so to you mr armstrong for i have never spoken to any one else about it but your daughter seems to have taken so kindly to ruth that it seems natural for me to speak to you i am glad you have done so mr powlett and i hope that good may come from our talk 
It was not until a fortnight after this chat that Mary had anything to communicate to her father, for she found that whenever she turned the conversation upon the topic of the murder of Miss Carne, Ruth evidently shrank so much from it that she was obliged to change the subject. Today, father, I took the bull by the horns. Ruth had been sitting there for some time working without saying a word when I asked her suddenly, as if it was what I had been thinking over while we were silent. What is your opinion, Ruth? Do you think that Captain Mervyn really murdered his cousin? She turned pale. She has never much color, you know, but she went as white as a sheet and then said, I am quite sure that he did not do it, but I don't like talking about it. No, of course not, I said. I can quite understand that after the terrible shock you had, still it is awful to think that this captain mervyn should have been driven away from his home and made an outcast of if he is innocent it serves him right ruth said passionately how dare he insult and threaten my dear miss margaret nothing is too bad for him i can't quite agree with you there i said no doubt he deserved to be punished and he must have been punished by being tried for his cousin's murder but to think of a man spending all his life branded unjustly with the crime of murder is something too terrible to think of i dare say he's doing very well she said after a pause doing well i said doing well what can you be thinking of ruth what sort of doing well can there be for a man who knows that at any moment he may be recognized that his story may be whispered about and that his neighbors may shrink away from him that his wife if he ever marries may come to believe that her husband is a murderer that his children may bear the curse of cain upon them it is too terrible to think of if captain mervyn is guilty he ought to have been hung if he's innocent he's one of the most unfortunate men in the world ruth didn't say anything but she was so terribly white that i thought she was going to faint she tried to get up but i could see she couldn't and i ran and got her a glass of water her hand shook so that she could hardly hold it to her lips after she drank some she sat for a minute or two quiet then she murmured something about a sudden faintness and that she would go home i persuaded her to stay a few minutes longer at last she got up i am subject to fainting fits she said it is very silly but i cannot help it yes perhaps what you say about captain mervyn is right but I never quite saw it so before. Goodbye. And then she went off, though I could see she was scarcely able to walk steadily. Oh, father, I feel quite sure that she knows something, that she can prove that Ronald is innocent if she chooses, and I think that sooner or later she will choose. First of all, she was so decided in her assertion that Ronald was innocent she did not say i think or i believe she said 
I am quite sure. She would never have said that unless she knew something quite positive. Then, the way that she burst out that it served him right seems to be, and I have been thinking about it ever since she went away an hour ago, as if she had been trying to convince herself that it was right that he should suffer and to soothe her own conscience for not saying what would prove him innocent. It looks like it, Mary. It certainly looks like it. We are on the right trail, my girl. I am sure that was a very heavy blow you struck her today, and she evidently felt it so. Two or three more such blows, and the victory will be won. I have no doubt now that Ruth Powlett somehow holds the key of this strange mystery in her hand, and I think that what you have said to her today will go a long way towards inducing her to unlock it. Forrester was the murderer of Miss Carne. I have not a shadow of doubt, though how she knows it for certain is more than I can even guess. End of chapter 16 Recording by Gabby Cowan